And I speak to this store a lot just because I am so, 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 so proud of the work that they have done on their own and what we've done working with them as partners and given kind of like the market, right? In, I believe in 2018, uh, Audi Nyack was purchased by the Pape Auto Group. My name is Jimmy McCagna. I'm the general manager at Unia. I've been with the store for a year. Our store is a proud member of the Pepe Auto Group. Prior to this role, I was the marketing director for all stores. This store kind of had everything against them when they first bought the store. They're not getting a customer portfolio that was very loyal to them because there are so many Audi stores in the area. And they went through a remodel. They worked through the remodel completely. And they didn't kind of slow down at all. And now a third fastest growing Audi store in the country, from my understanding, from what I've been told. And they saw the big opportunity was service to sales. So they took turns rotating salespeople working the service drive and really leveraged our notifications through Mastermind to be proactive in the outreach with the customers through their centralized BDC. I think Market IQ has improved the sales presence dealership with giving the salespeople more information and guidance and purpose on their calls. So calling a customer and knowing the direction the call should be in, whether the customer is approaching maturity, over miles, out of warranty, you know, really giving them some direction and purpose for the call instead of just guessing and assuming where the customers are at from you know prior data that we have. Jimmy McCagna is one of the dealers that Elizabeth Collage helps. Prior to Jimmy's role as general manager of Audi Nyack, he served as marketing director for Pepe Auto Group an auto group comprised of six luxury dealerships. Jimmy's background in marketing gives him a head start into the foray of data and analytics and also making data-driven decisions. As such, Jimmy is the antithesis of the persona of the dealer principal and models himself more after the dealer operator. What differentiates a dealer principal versus a dealer operator? This is the penultimate question and the one in which we will seek to answer in this final episode. This is Predicting the Next Paycheck, a podcast miniseries assessing the behaviors of car dealers and their data-inspired decisions. Part 3, Portfolio Management. Okay, it is Monday right about 5.30, a little before 5.30 a.m., about an hour before the market opens. And as I open up Fidelity Active Trader Pro, the platform I use to trade, I see what the extended hours are looking like. It looks like the Dow is expected to open up down 100 points. NASDAQ is up 18 points. S&P is down six and three quarters of a point. Let's take a look at my portfolio. Let's take a look at the automotive market. 
some of the companies reporting earnings are Metromile. They report today. Hire Car reports today. Neo reports Wednesday. DoorDash reports Thursday. View their charts. Every weekday, I sit down prior to the market opening and I review everything in my portfolio. This includes current positions I hold, stocks that I'm closely watching, stocks that have high volume pre-market, and also perhaps are there any stocks that will be reporting earnings in the coming week. All this data and analytics is out there to help me make money for the week ahead, the month ahead, the quarter ahead, and the year ahead. My routine of checking and managing my investment portfolio to see what is occurring in the global financial market is similar to what also happens in a dealership. Define, describe what portfolio management is. So to the core, and I hate to use like the flag statement that we use, but it's true. You need to identify, you need to communicate, and you need to try to close everybody in your market, right? Whether those are the loyalty customers that you already know and have done business with, you can lose those customers. Who's to say they're going to stay loyal? How do you do it? The customer experience, right? You help and you convert those people over. Then you get those service conquest customers, right? People that are servicing with you that didn't buy from you originally, but maybe they're servicing with you now because they no longer live in New York City and they're now in the burbs. You have an opportunity to earn that customer's business and earn them for a lifetime, really, right? Because they'll never forget that time they bought a car during a pandemic. And then looking at people in the market, maybe somebody was financially impacted in the market and now they're sort of in the market of shopping other brands and maybe they can't afford the S anymore. Maybe they need an E now, or maybe they need an SUV because they have a family, right? So. That to me is portfolio management, identifying, communicating, and trying to close everybody in your market, whether it's a loyalty, a service, or somebody that's shopping in your market that hasn't done business with you before. The concept of portfolio management is nothing new per se. Dealers have always maintained troves of customer data, have combined it with third-party data, and they have used all of this data in order to sell and service more cars. Here's Michael Moses, a teammate of Elizabeth, to give more insight. So one major thing, no matter if you're at a Mercedes-Benz, Toyota, Ford, Chrysler, Dodge, you have a lease maturity list. And typically, now this is something that is way different than when I was selling to now managing stores from a mastermind perspective you would probably get a lease maturity list six months out and start contacting your clients. But what Mastermind does so well is, especially right now with trade values and the market the way it is, you may have equity with 17, 18 months remaining on your lease that you have no idea about. That customer's not even beginning to think or dream of a new car just yet. But that Mercedes C300, that Toyota RAV4, may have a break-even point from their residual value or their buyout, or they may have about five, $600 of positive equity. That's what our system does. That calculates all these different technologies, the contracts, the timing. If I had that in 2012, 2013, 2014, you can better analyze your portfolio. So if you take that and apply it to different businesses, different industries, 
you can apply that to apparel, to food, restaurant industries, a ton of different businesses. When you say better analyze your portfolio, I would think back in 2012, for instance, you having this lease maturity list and knowing the overall market that, okay, wholesale prices are down, wholesale prices are up, used car prices are down, used car prices are up. Combining that with the lease maturity list, couldn't you also already make sense of that in knowing that there would be 17, 18 months in advance to pull out a customer out of their lease? You definitely could. You definitely could. It's kind of like the flip phone to the iPhone analogy. The information was there. It wasn't clean on one screen. So you had to go to maybe four or five different parts of your technologies, your computers, check the values on Carfax, check Kelly Blue Book, go back to the DMS to find your contract, then to your CRM, and then hopefully that client will actually answer your text message, your email, or your phone call. In the world of trading and investing, there are platforms that access hundreds of millions of data points dating back decades to help inform your investment decisions. Some of these platforms include Fidelity, Webull, Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade, or Robinhood. But even these platforms showcase limited predictive analytics that would better inform your investment decisions. Usually, predictive analytics is left to financial pundits and your own experience to guide you on your next investment strategy. In the car business, having a centralized and computerized system of predictive analytics allows sales professionals to make better informed decisions at scale. In part two, the discipline of decision intelligence was introduced. Decision intelligence turns information, or more applicable, it turns data and analytics into better actions at scale. It combines social science, managerial science, and data science into a unified field. And it's this last field of data science that differentiates a dealer principal versus a dealer operator. Without contention, dealer principals are masters of the social and managerial sciences. They understand psychology, communication, economics, problem solving, and coaching to name a few. But it's the last field of data science, the interdisciplinary field that combines computer science and statistics the field that provides the framework to operationalize the analytics that characterize a dealer operator versus a dealer principal. The dealer principal applies the strategy of management by expense and makes data-inspired decisions. The dealer operator applies the discipline of decision intelligence. We'll be back with more after this. I tend to think more simply that a lot of addiction is simply lost connection. So you combine this idea that you're struggling with depression, anxiety, 
uh, you might have stalled somewhere, trauma, you're ready or emotionally distressed. Business class listeners, thanks for tuning in to this podcast mini series. You know, there's something else that I've been thinking very deeply about, and it's now turned into an observation. This pandemic has affected us all greatly in some way, shape, or form. And I'm noticing that there are still some unknown effects of this pandemic. One way that I'm seeing this unknown play out is in our minds and in our behavior. The next mini-series for Wisco Weekly will explore addiction. Often, addiction is associated with the 1980s Ronald Reagan days of drug use. This is your brain. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. However, in social media and in this digitized world of information technology, Addiction is playing out differently. Join me and Dr. Timothy Fong, addiction medicine specialist and clinical professor of psychiatry at UCLA in seeing how addiction has evolved from drug use to online gambling. Our understanding of addiction is really all wrong and it's not about uh, people finding drugs that turn them into zombies and they lose self-control. It's really us as humans losing connection. Stay tuned and subscribe and follow Wisco Weekly. Got out of the draw by ten cents in January. Uh, you know, made two thousand dollars and ten cents. And two months later, in March, I made eleven thousand dollars. Right. So, that's the car business in a nutshell. The car business has always been two things: a people business and a money making business. But to survive in today's post-COVID economy, dealer operators want to be paid commensurate with their time and skills. Ian Grace tells us more. Everything that I had, if I gave up all of myself to something, and I felt then as I do now that I have a lot to give and offer any company that I work for, that I wanted to feel and know and be paid commensurate with my effort. Because, you know, my parents white collar jobs, but blue collar work ethic. You know, my dad is um, to this day, I mean, he's got his birthday in three weeks and turning 63, still works every day. He's worked 50, 60 hours a week my whole life. So again, he was blue collar guy from Long Island. So grandfather was a postal worker. My grandmother was a substitute teacher, real salt of the earth, Massapequa kind of suburban life. So he instilled in me that work ethic and to work hard. So I think I kind of took that and said, well, I have no problem working hard, but I want to get paid for it. I'll work really hard. I want to get paid for it. So the car business gave me that outlet where if I'm working hard, I'm doing the things I'm supposed to be doing. I'm going to get paid well for it. And you're right that there was an element in the beginning to that conservative meets car business clash in that obviously, as you know, you go up, down, up, down. You can make 10 grand, two grand, right? I remember one quarter, it was like first quarter of 2010. I remember vividly because it was the car business in a microcosm. I got out of the draw by 10 cents, right? My time in the car business, I was never in the draw, but I got out of the draw by 10 cents in January, you know, made $2,000 and 10 cents. And two months later in March, I made $11,000. So that's the car business in a nutshell. And 
I think for me in the beginning was a clash with that conservative root of like, oh, how much money am I going to have? And I need to budget better. And, you know, I was 24, right? Who budgets that well when you're 24, 25, right? But where the meritocracy kind of came back in was I found as I got better at my job, I was able to take the high and the low out a lot better. Taking out the high and the low is what business owners seek. Business owners want stability in order to mitigate against the unexpected events that may arise, like the COVID pandemic or the chip shortage or whatever the next major economic or global event will be. Through a first principle analysis, seeking stability infers removing the variable of unexpectedness. But we know that it is impossible to remove any sort of unexpectedness in a business. But you can guard against it by having better predictability. I'm Dennis Wisco of Wisco Weekly, and thanks for tuning in to this podcast miniseries. This podcast miniseries is brought to you by Automotive Mastermind. Automotive Mastermind is a leading provider of predictive analytics and marketing automation solutions for the automotive industry. The company's sales and marketing platform called Mastermind empowers dealers to close more deals by predicting future buyers and consistently marketing to them. Mastermind generates success in a dealership's loyalty, service, and conquest portfolios through a combination of turnkey predictive analytics, proactive marketing, and dedicated consultative services. Visit AutomotiveMastermind.com to learn more. This podcast miniseries is a production of Wisco Weekly. Sound design and theme music by Chris Skipper. Contributors... Rana Akaya Meyer and Nikki Little. Artists featured in this miniseries include Charles Ross Ryan, Benjamin Mark Tatlow, Afir Gruber, Yezhekel Raz, Raz Berg, Aviv Meshulum, Sean Fisher, Tammuz Dekel, Yaren Primak, and Dor Resnick. <laughs>